Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 210 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Double Density is your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, um, I was remiss not to mention this episode 209, but once again, happy new year. Let us move on from that. Now, you and I uh, do a tech podcast, right? Also a paranormal podcast, but we would agree that all things geeky are tech adjacent, right? Absolutely. It'd be hard to to talk about those things, um, you know, in a non interrelated manner. In some cases, well, all nerdy things are tech sort of related. Sometimes, I guess. I don't know. Well, I I don't necessarily know that. I think that like, do you think that like, you know, illusions and magic are tech related? They're kind of nerdy. Yeah, they're nerdy, but not tech related. Okay, I I am making a false assumption there. <laughs> that is a logical fallacy, and I've fallen into the trap. Exactly. Well, I'm glad you admit it. Like, I'm very proud. That's of you. important. Um, so you and I are, are are geeks of like different kinds, and one of your biggest geek blind spots is the idea of tabletop role play. Very much so. I I like board games, but when you say board games to me, it means Monopoly or Pictionary or those games. I'm not a tabletop playing kind of guy. It's not. It's not something I really like doing. Just like you know. Uh, I, I like magic and card magic, but I don't like magic the gathering cards. Not for me. So two things. Firstly, have you ever drunkenly played Operation at a party? No, but I've played Operation with my kids, not drunk. Okay. Well you're missing. We we actually Secondly, played it's... Doc McStuffins Operation, if you know who Doc McStuffins is. <laughs> I yes, of course. Okay. Uh, I am uh, you know, uh I have multiple nephews in my life, so I know exactly who most of these characters are. We were very excited when Doc McStuffins showed up in Chippendale Rescue Rangers. I mean, that movie was was very, 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 very filled to the brim with cameos. Yeah. and Doc McStuffins So it's funny to bring up the Magic the Gathering because I want to talk about their owner, Wizards of the Coast, who also owns the Dungeons & Dragons license, right? They've owned it for uh, 24 years, 25 years at this point, I think, right? So um, those that know call Wizards of the Coast Watsy. You know? <laughs> really? They do? Yes. It's yes, like Yahtzee. Exactly. <laughs> or Goatsy. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the Goatsy of gaming, perhaps, right? <laughs> um so there's a huge uproar in the Dungeons and Community uh, Dungeons and Dragons community right now because of the fact is that they have had in place since the turn of the millennium um, something called an open game license. So basically, it is a document that states what you can and cannot do with the D20 system that the game um, operates under, right? The mechanics of the game themselves. And for the longest time, you could go off and you could create homebrewed versions of adventures. You can even sell them, right? So a lot of people have made careers out of making um, a number of um, assorted. Uh, bits of of uh, gaming paraphernalia, including quests and uh, you know uh, adventures and and other things like that. And now, uh, so Watsi in turn is owned by Hasbro, and Hasbro has seen a huge downturn in their stock price in the last like I'd say like six to eight months. And so one of the plans that uh, Wizards of the Coast is putting into place is trying to figure out how to monetize uh, their gamer base because eighty percent of the stuff being bought. For Dungeons and Dragons is bought by the game master, the dungeon master, right? So th- there is very little that players are actually doing or buying, right? So that's that's a huge problem they're trying to monetize somehow. And so their idea is to refine the open gaming license and put a bunch of rules in place to make it harder to make money off of the crafts um, that was previously available and open to everyone and that fostered a community and some may argue led to the resurgence of Dungeons and Dragons as a, a popular entity. Yeah, because it's been up and down, right? It was huge in the 80s, then kind of fizzled out in the 90s, and then yep. took a upward turn in the early 2000s, correct? Correct. 
Uh, I mean, no, I'd say like mid two thousands. I'd say like two thousand six ish. Like, because when I met you, you and one of our other coworkers would talk about playing Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. And I, I honestly, I kind of have a vague sense of what it is. But when people talk about like the dungeon master and stuff, is like I, I don't understand. Are they making it up as they go along? Like, do, does the person who who is the dungeon master? Do they have to be like super creative, or can they just read yes. from a book? So there's two kinds, right? So basically, um, there are adventures that are straight out of a box that you can kind of run very easily. Um, and if you are all first time players, that's kind of the better way of doing it. Like you have prepared character sheets and like that, just to get an idea. Um, so you know there are campaigns, but then there are things called one shots, right? So things that are only supposed to last like one session. And so in order to get a feel. Wizards of the Coast has kind of made it easier for new players to get involved by creating these situations in which it is easier to understand the mechanics of the game and how to use it through a very um, a simple adventure. And so the Dungeon Master basically is the storyteller, right? They have to be ready to kind of um, guide and steer the players in any which way they want. Um, it, it kind of becomes difficult if some of your players want to screw around. So, for, like, one of the more infamous examples, right, is... Uh, and this is kind of like, you know, a tale. I don't necessarily believe it's true or not, but there's the the off-repeated story of a set of characters being played by players around the table sitting down, and then they themselves are playing Dungeons and Dragons within the game, so a meta game. <laughs> that's that's Inception. It, yeah, it's it's Dungeons and Dragons Inception, right? But so where we're at now is that. Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragons, they're realizing that they need to somehow monetize their entire player base somehow, right? And that is through getting players themselves to get more participatory with their dollars. Um, Because, like, a lot of the times what will happen is that you can buy different manuals and things like that. But usually players aren't really buying a ton of things, a ton of books. Usually the rules and things like that are usually fall under the Dungeon Master's purview and he'll share his, his wares, right? Because there's a huge... Um, kind of network of things like that where not everyone necessarily needs every book ever um, a resource manual in order to play i can imagine that one at least one executive somewhere at hasbro or wizards of the coast probably said we need to turn this ogl into nfts <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Which is funny because what has happened um, since I sent you the New Republic story is that one of the things that Wizards of the Coast is claiming is that they're trying to mitigate situations where um, D&D adjacent property is turned into NFTs and other kinds of, of digital art that they cannot control. Okay. Look, I don't play Dungeons & Dragons, but I guess tangentially, the uh, and you can bleep this if you want, but games like Ring and Dark Souls take a lot from Dungeons & Dragons as just going back to early JRPGs like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, right? Yeah. They take a lot of the stats and all that stuff comes from from Dungeons & Dragons. With, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of... Uh, of Final Fantasy type role playing games. Oh, and stuff I thought you were going to say dice. Of dice. No, well, no, no. But I mean, I don't mind turn based uh, role playing games, but in the last few years, I've become much more a fan of action RPGs and games like the one you're going to bleep out and uh, Dark Souls and stuff like that. The stats really play a huge part in the game, apart from getting good. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a huge component of, of tabletop role playing that has sort of been ported over to. Um, digital 
stories, right? I think there's a shared lineage there, or at least some kind of like, um, you know, A to B kind of logic that you could draw between the historical concept of of oh yeah, role playing. The, the early games game. from the early role playing games from Japan took a lot from um, Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that's been documented as them being fans. Yeah. So right now, if you wanted to, you could go get a subscription um, from Dungeons and Dragons directly called D and D Beyond. So you could pay. Uh, three or five or three and six dollars i can't remember but the idea there is that it makes it easier to create character sheets um there are various tools you can use maps and things like that and so um in protest a large number of people are canceling their subscriptions to D beyond right now were you subscribed it's, to that no okay no you don't wasn't. play often so enough i guess i uh, yeah exactly um, and also the huge thing to think about too is that a lot of people will move away from the d20 system if they can't monetize it right um and create their own. So this actually may have a unintended negative effect on the uh, well-being of Dungeons & Dragons itself. The good news is a lot of indie games who will have enough tweaks in their system um, to stand on their own will then become more dominant, is the popular school thought. Just to clarify, when you say D20, it's the the 20-sided die, correct? Yeah, that, so it's okay. a series of dies that like you get decided, right? So it's it's you have to meet a certain threshold when you roll for certain things, okay. right? And usually it's done with the D20. Well, it depends. That's a whole other thing, right? So for weapons, you know, you could be rolling a we a one dice six, so it's a one D6 or a two D6 if you got two swords, let's say, right, to figure out damage. Um, but yeah, the idea there is you're supposed to roll into pass fail. Okay. So you give yourself points and things like that for, for um, when you start creating a character you get different points for different things you have a pool you could kind of create your own character based on a number of things you could create a dumb guy a smart person okay. a cunning person um all kinds of things um depending on what each of the skills calls for um so you kind of have an open door to do that and then as you level up you get modifiers too okay, and r1 is uh light attack r2 is heavy attack l1 is block <laughs> yeah. correct S- circles yeah, exactly. to roll so if you want to go ahead and just start yelling that out during the, yeah. the middle of the session i feel um, like that's interesting. I don't know. I find this kind of interesting. You don't really hear a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, the other than things, Magic the Gathering has recently celebrated their 30th anniversary. And one of their plans, Angelo, was to release a $1,000 set of, of booster packs that recreate the original cards. That sounds excessive and expensive. It really, really is. And uh, no one knows who it's for exactly, right? Because the thing is, you can't actually use these replicas in tournament play either. Um, so it seems like it's a huge fleecing of um, people hoping to speculate upon that and, and flip those cards. But who knows? Who knows? I was at a I was at a board game store actually recently. I was at Imaginarium where I bought uh, the the thing you see behind me there, the uh, Horizon Forbidden the West. No, the Horizon uh, right, Forbidden okay. West uh, doll. No, the Lego of the Talnik. And uh, they had a lot of board game stuff. A lot of Warhammer. Uh, twenty yeah twenty k twenty thousand. How do you say that? Whatever. Forty k. Forty k. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that, a whole other industry yeah. that we could talk about. There's that, but what I did see that was really cool was a Bloodborne board game. Very cool. Yeah, there's a ton of those things, yeah. $240, though, and it weighed a ton, the box. There's, like, yep. lots of stuff in there. No, thank you. I like Bloodborne and all that, but no, that not enough to... You also have no one to play with. Yeah, I mean, I can't really play with my kids. I mean, you, you could. It would just be weird. Yeah. Well, I mean... So that's the thing, too, is that you can kind of, like, in, in a gaming session, you don't necessarily need physical props and things like that. Like, you could just talk things through, right? But it's just easier to sometimes to visualize a map in front of you, right? So you could get a map that's kind of like a whiteboard. You just draw on there. There are figures you could buy. Um, I know people have used Legos. A poor, um, a poor man's Dungeons & Dragons. Well, no. It's just a variation, I think. I mean, but you're not going to be allowed doing that anymore. Wizards of the Coast are going to come knock on your door and say you're not allowed doing that. 
Well, it's not even about that. It's just the creation of the game itself, right? Yeah. So if you are buying from someone else, um, you have to... So if you are a person who uses the D20 system to create your spinoff, your takeoff on a fantasy or role-playing game, you have to declare your income with them. You have to <laughs> narc on yourself. And if you make more than $750,000 a year, you uh, have to cut them in based on the, the amount of money you make. But if you really consider it... It may sound like a lot of money, but it's actually not if you consider all the moving parts of what it takes to create a, a game, your designers, your artists, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, right? So, well, it's not one person doing it. That's why. You know, the $750,000 threshold may seem like a lot initially, but once you really start thinking about it, it's, it's not that much. Yeah, $750,000 for one person, good amount of money. That, that amount of money for 15 people, not as good. I agree. Let us talk about something though that you are uh, you know a lot about, and that is third party Twitter apps and how they are not working. Well, I mean, this is just a brief thing, but I went. I I haven't been tweeting, but I still have uh, Tweetbot on my phone to check Twitter, and I went to check Thursday night, and uh, didn't work anymore. I thought, oh, it must be just an outage, whatever. And then I checked on Friday, didn't work. Checked on Saturday, didn't work. Checked on Sunday, not working anymore. And now the third party. Uh, Twitter client creators and developers are coming out and saying this is an intentional thing, but uh, the ever open to freedom Elon Musk is not saying anything about this on Twitter. All the other things he talks about, yeah, but not third party and why the API is no longer working. So there's a bunch of uh, people talking about it on Mastodon, of course, which I downloaded for now the official Mastodon app. It's fine. Totally fine. I'm waiting for ivory to come out which is made by the people who do tweetbot and i will gladly pay the seven dollar a year subscription fee i was paying for the twitter uh, for tweetbot for that i'll be happy to pay it for i didn't realize you're paying for twitter which is even funnier in my head well i pay for the third party twitter app that was created by uh, the people i like at uh at the company that makes it which i can't think of the name right now but anyway um tapbots that's what they're called and uh, it's seven bucks a year for something that they work really hard on. I think it's worth it. And I applaud you. N- no for ad for the hell side. And guess what? I'm paying basically. I don't get ads in Twitter when I use that, so that's really good. Oh, I've, I think we've talked about this on the show, but I've done the inverse, right? So whenever I see, I've, I've seen a promoted ad for years and years now. I've muted it, so it just they're getting weirder and weirder for me. Hello. I'm a computer. I'm a computer guy. Everything made out the buttons and wires. Double density. Speaking of weird, actually, a video you sent me today about something <laughs> prompted me to do what something in the guy in the video the guy said, and that is to go into a private uh, Safari window or incognito mode on on Chrome and click on the shorts in YouTube. And it is a world of weirdness. Let us talk about the actor known as Taylor Red Angela. So I sent you a video by Grady Smith, who usually covers country music, um, tropes, news, and things like that. And he fell down a rabbit hole because he got a DM from this group named Taylor Red. They're a country music duo featuring three sisters. So now and... they're not a duo if they're three people, oh, right? Sorry, trio. I apologize. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you corrected yourself in the sentence. You said a country music duo featuring three sisters, which was exactly which made me yeah. laugh because you're the Math person. Wizardry. Yeah, you're the you're the copywriter of the two of us. Interesting how you you conflate copywriting with speaking. I like that part. I guess. All that being said, though, a trio of sisters you know named Taylor Red who have a large following on different social media platforms, yet nobody knows 
who they are or seems to know who they are, Angelo. And it is quite an enduring mystery. And uh, I'm going to let you sort of talk your talk, let your thoughts out. And then I'm going to kind of jump in and say what I think. At first glance, it seemed like just, you know, people that reach out to everybody on on Instagram to kind of like gain followers and things like that. But there they seem like they have music. And the thing that really stuck out to me is something he was talking about how most of his listeners are from the US and then all his other listeners are from English speaking countries like Canada, the UK, uh, Australia, all that. And then when you look at and he says the same thing for most country acts. And when you look at this act, their top countries are Indonesia and India, which seems really at odds with the music they're making. But it's because a lot of their views are from their shorts on YouTube, and those shorts have nothing to do with country music at all. They seem sort of creepy and like borderline fetish videos to me. Interesting you say that. So a couple of things first. I think, so the Granny Smith video is really good. And I suggest anyone who has a half hour, or if you want to watch it at 2x. Brian, it didn't time, feel like a half it. hour. I watched the full <laughs> thing and I couldn't, I said, let me start this and maybe I'll I'll, I'll, I'll speed through it later. Uh, so I'm prepared for the podcast. No, I was riveted to this thing and half an hour passed by very quickly. I uh, agree with you. So firstly, I think the huge problem though, is that Grady Smith is trying to see them as musicians and not content creators first and foremost which is what they are at the end of the day right i think at the end of the day they're trying multiple avenues by which to break out and make some measure of fame but really at the end of the day i feel like all of these random challenges and things like that because they're big on youtube they're big on tiktok they have almost no listeners on spotify they have nine thousand monthly if you look around that's not a lot at all for who they're supposed to be stature wise so i do feel like firstly i feel like they need to be treated as content creators, not musicians, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's funny that you say they're weird and, and plasticky and things like that because I was thinking back to Elsa Gates. So we talked about this, gosh, like two and a half years ago now where there's that whole wave of like really strange videos with adult content being served up to YouTube kids. And I felt like it's kind of how it's the same kind of like luminal space energy of like ultra real yet not at the same time kind of feel to it. Well, it's basically th- those videos were content creators that realize that they could, they could find a niche with that where their borderline uh, creepy videos, well, they're not even borderline, they're creepy, with Spider-Man and Elsa and all that stuff, would end up being served up to kids who would just have YouTube running and it would basically count as a view, if that was the, that was the gist of it. And with regards to Grady Smith, is that his name, Grady Smith, you said? right? Yes. I think... He's just trying his best to figure out if this is an actual country band or not, really. Right, but I think he's viewing it through the wrong lens. The question shouldn't be... So I think his thesis is they are a band. He's trying to disprove it versus I think the other thesis should be... They're not a band. They're a content creator that maybe want to be a band. Yes. So the reason I bring up Elsagate 2 is the universality of the kinds of content that they create because it is very facile, right? When you watch a lot of these, um, you know, YouTube shorts or TikToks or Instagram reels, which are just repurposed all across the board, also on Facebook, I took a look, um, they're easily understood, right? That's the thing is that they're easy to understand. That's not true, Brian. I did not understand what I saw. The, the, so he used an example of some weird couple who was use it like talk they were showing each other big spoons or something and i came across one of their other videos and she was trying to cut a a a hot dog with i don't know what it was she was using band-aids to hold the hot dog i don't know what was happening anymore 
It was very odd. So this odd. is the insane part, and uh, I'm going to blame our, our old friend Facebook, right? So for a while, um, and still, video on Facebook is king. And a lot of these like really strange Ethereal videos do really, really well on the platform. There's a whole network of people actually who create madly upsetting videos on purpose, and they do really, really well um, on there. And there has been a shift in the way videos are created in that mold or in that sphere that get a lot of engagement, which is why you're mentioning a lot of non-English speaking nations being interested in their content because it's easily understood. Also, um, you know, there might be a fetishization a little bit of three red haired women, I think a little bit there. Well, too. yeah. Cause they're, so they're one of the main things themes was them changing clothes and then jumping on balloons, wearing costumes and high heels that if that's not a fetish video of some kind that like, I, I don't know what is anymore. It is absolutely a fetish video, my friend. And, uh, I've read, you know, some literature on how that kind of thing does really well because on its surface, of course, it is family-friendly fun, but also there's a weird, dark undertone. And I'm not trying to kink shit. I'm just saying that a lot of that that seems wholesome may not actually... No, uh, that's women stepping on guys' balls with their high heels. Correct. A normal Tuesday in my house, yes. Yeah. So this... So moving from fact to sort of conjecture... I also do believe that they might be vying followers on some of these platforms. And the reason I say that is because they have massive views and very, very low engagement on a lot of this content. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of, and I mean, isn't India well known for being like a view farm? That is quite correct. I feel like the videos that disturbed me the most beyond the weird balloon popping and clothes changing is the odd sad sister videos, as he called them. And then where they fist pump in an odd way yes that was really off-putting they seem they're getting all these views they're wannabe influencers they're making making money they're yeah yeah, in theory making money but they don't seem very good at it if you know what i mean they don't have charisma of any kind they seem robotic honestly at first when he was showing pictures of them i thought that it was one person photoshopped uh, like the images looked so fake and then mm-hmm. i finally saw them talking and stuff and i realized no they're actually triplets but it was really odd and the thing is is then once he started showing finally he, his his whole thing was to actually find live footage of them and he couldn't do that and he finally found some and they're not terrible they're not the best but they're not terrible that is not seo optimized either actually. no you gotta remember no, no. That's the whole thing, right? So I do believe, you know, they were called, what, Red Roots before, right? Yeah, I do believe Taylor Red is not a mistake, Angela. Well, no. It is definitely SEO optimized, my friend. I wonder uh, how they came up with that. How? I mean, Taylor Swift is huge. Red is a color. That is also the name of an album. (laughs) Who knew? Yeah, so I, you know, once again, conjecture, but I do believe that they are buying followers to a certain degree, and that sooner or later they'll either get flagged or kicked off a platform. Um, but they have the CEO of Twitter of, of of YouTube, which is the most confusing part of. That's I don't what understand. really threw me off too. So I don't know if someone hacked, um, you know, her account or, or got past her two factor or something. But, but the, like isn't there Twitter, a video? Yeah. No, but isn't there a video of her talking? It's and in they, the video, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they no, but there's a video of her talking about them, and they're being profiled on YouTube. Yes, so it's it's there's a level of like strangeness there, too that I don't. This should have been in paranormal, Brian. 
<laughs> I mean, no, at the end of the day, there are content yeah. creators who uh, are gaming the system quite aptly and doing quite well with that. It's you like, think that house is rented? It's not their house. It's one of those, it's like... That's Ty Lopez? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, once again, appearances are are deceiving, right? So maybe they actually do own the house? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just find that, you know, once again, you're saying that, like, they're not very, like quote-unquote good at content but the content is not for you it's for like a eight-year-old I, right I, so when you can, when you start considering either a non-english speaker who doesn't have a huge grasp of the english language necessarily or someone who doesn't have the language skills to understand nuance and things like that so you know there are two categories there that i think this content works well for and some of the contents comments in the content actually point to that i i was borderline expecting some of the videos for them to be asking for help because they're i don't know they're being held prisoner and have being forced to make these YouTube videos because it is you think that so? I don't think so. No, I, I know. I think, but it, it if yeah. if we were creating a horror movie, that would be the premise there. Yeah, I just I feel it would be disingenuous to like rob them of their agency because clearly what they're doing is they're milking this for all they can until the uh you know uh sources of income run dry and they need to figure out um what to do uh elsewise, right? And they've been around a long time. They have been, yeah, that's true. They've been at this for like a 10, 12 years at this point in different incarnations. That's the thing is that like they tried the music thing, music thing wasn't they working tried out. Christian, so they, they tried the Christian country thing too. That's yeah, that's not yeah, working. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing and or the sad thing is like when you go wander into Facebook onto their page, like the comments are all like middle-aged men. So just something to think about. Well, there's at least one guy out there who has a thing for triplet redheads stepping on balloons in high heels and Elsa costumes. If you're out there, double density podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. You can also hit us up on Twitter because I'm still on there. I'm not. at double underscore density. And uh, you know, if uh, you want to let Angela know he's I'm gonna a tell you he's a contact form on the double density.net website, like an old person would. I'm also on a Mastodon. You can find me on the Mastodon thing. One quick last thing, Angela. Apparently you want to talk about something you want to watch or something to watch. Well, uh, it's Sunday. January 15th, and tonight on HBO, The Last of Us premieres, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm glad that you're excited for that. It looks really good. A lot of the reviews say it's really good, so I guess uh, we'll just wait and see how the season progresses, but I'm hoping I'm hoping it's good. And this is full-on HBO, right? It's not HBO Max. It's like full-on HBO yeah. prestige TV. And it's the guy who did Chernobyl, right? So I, I, I have faith in that. The only thing that annoys me, though, is that someone uh, wrote a very glowing review that said it's so good, it made me forget that it was based on a video game, which I feel is an insult to video games because, as you and I both know, and most of the world is, like, very clear about these days, the uh, concept of a video game as a piece of art is definitely, you know, a, a thing that exists. What, what are you talking about, actually? I read a review where someone had said, this show is so good, it made me forget that it was actually based on a video game. And it, it made me a little mad. Oh yeah, no, video games are amazing. That that, that, yes, that think, but those are people that don't get it. Right? It's, squares, and it's just because ironically. and it's just because so much adapted video game content, uh, content has been pretty bad. Right? I mean, look at <laughs> I don't know. I, there there's just so much bad out there. Uh, you know, Look at the, the Paul W.S. Anderson movies, right, with Mila Jovovich. I was about to watch those two because I just finished uh, Alien Resurrection, and it was even worse than I remember the last time I watched it. So. Yeah, so so those are those are not the best So do movies. watch Last of Us. Don't watch uh, Re- Resident Alien Evil. Resurrection, Alien vs. Predator, Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Uh, Prometheus is okay. Covenant is a mess. Yeah, but those aren't the those aren't. I was talking more about Resident Evil and stuff. Oh, like the that. Resident Evil. Yeah, because not... Paul W. S. Anderson didn't do the 
the those uh, the alien movies, did he? He sure did. Really? Yeah. He did the first one. Oh. Okay, well that makes sense, yeah. But anyway, so he also did the the Resident Evil ones. He did a Monster Hunter movie, always with his wife Miljovic, who was great in uh, Days and Confused, <laughs> and in uh, the Fourth Kind. Right? She was in the Fourth Kind. Uh, yeah, the documentary, the Fourth Kind. Yeah, yeah documentary, absolutely. absolutely. Um, yeah, I- I'm looking forward to it. So there we go. Angela, you've rolled for initiative and you hit a natural d20. So we're going to head on over to the paranormal side of things, where I'm not going to explain what I just said to you. Yeah, I was about to say you're going to have to explain that to me, and you preemptively decided not to. Thanks. When I befriended a group of aliens just three years ago, I was lost. Do you believe in a cool group of down-to-earth aliens who love to hang out, have fun, and have great ideas about what kind of food you can eat? No, that's crazy. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So, Angela, I want to ask you a very serious question. Have you ever bought a lottery ticket? I usually buy the scratch cards because those are simple. But I think I've bought a couple of lottery tickets, if not maybe for for family or something. But no, I'm not a lottery playing kind of guy because I know the odds are terrible. The odds are never in my favor, unlike the Hunger Games. <laughs> Which I'm proud of you for, for mentioning because uh, clearly that is a franchise that needs a return, right? There's a movie coming, isn't there? I, I just there sure I is. just watched we just watched the four movies. My daughter and I, she read the books, and we just watched the, the movies. How do you feel about that sort of dystopian, um, you know, young adult novel trope that was of the rage, like the Divergent series and things like that? And we also watched Divergent. Actually, um, I'm not a big fan. I mean, Divergent didn't make it past the second one, and then and I felt Divergent was really. Uh, derivative of the hunger games it really felt like that there was also the maze runner correct there's a ton of these yeah, yeah exactly. i watched the maze runner that was all right the of, of to me them, maze the running hunger is game... i offer you i offer you a piece of paper and you figure out the maze we run it are we done. talking about dungeons and dragons again we should yes <laughs> yeah. we sure are my friend a hedge fund maze yeah and uh i mean of those things that i've watched and read I, i've actually only read the hunger games but uh, of the that's the only book I've ever read. Nothing else. Uh, one, yeah, yeah, just the one Hunger Games. That's it. I've that in no- the Bible. Yeah, of course. Um, of those movies and things, the Hunger Games was the best made one. Obviously, the the most money behind it. Divergent was okay. I was actually disappointed there wasn't going to be a third a third movie. I wanted to kind of find out. Was it supposed to be like a movie and then they turned it into a TV show and that got canceled? Was that what happened? Every, everything got canceled for that. Like yeah. It just it didn't yeah. work out, unfortunately. And Maze Runner, they managed to finish the three uh, movies. They were okay. It just kind of... So the maze was run is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. They kind of... They're, they're just depressing, though. That's like, what I'm, that's the what I'm Hunger sort of Games asking about. The so depressing and it's... They should be called the Hungy Games. Really, just bring people in the Hungy Games. Yeah, well, yeah, it was it was not. It's not my favorite kind of stuff, but we we enjoyed it. I mean, she turned into Hawkeye at the end, so it was kind of fun. So all that to say, Angela, you're not really a big gambler. I will, you know, throw five bucks in if there's a big enough jackpot, just for fun. I just want a piece of that action. Um, some people call it the stupid tax, which I don't necessarily disagree with. Um, you know, but. One segment of the population that should be utilizing the full potential of the lottery system are remote viewers. Angelo, I linked you to a thread on the remote viewing subreddit, which I followed this time last year when I thought I'd make my amazing adventure into remote viewing and then gave up two months in because it sucks ass. And uh, (laughs) a lot of people are just 
very confused about the concept. It's almost like this is a self-tell about how remote viewing doesn't actually work. Well, you know, one person says, I only see shapes. One says, I only get two or three numbers. Um, but there have been no declared remote viewing winners vis-a-vis the lottery systems across the world, which I find very interesting because if you were looking to prove that a system was working, you know, the lottery would be a good way of showing that. How did you vote? Because I, 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 uh, I voted with the majority, never tried. Was, I've never tried. Yeah, I've never, I've tried. never ever tried. Because there's no point in trying. Honestly, sooner or later they'll come up. Yeah, so the majority of people who voted, I think it's up to like 650, most have never tried or just wanted to see the results. Only a couple. Um, 44 people surprisingly have said they got four uh, numbers or more in a draw, yet they're not in the comment section, which I find kind of interesting. Because if you're winning, you'd probably want to mention it. Yeah. They're lying. Some person uh, in the comments asked how. I very much enjoyed that one. How, Angelo? How? I don't know. You just imagine the numbers, Brian. You imagine them in a box. and then I feel like this is me. Maybe I should try. Nothing to lose by trying by no username N. That was me. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just funny to me that, like, you know, remote viewing can be used for so many things, including personal gain. And they're not. It's not being it's a system that is not being used to its fullest potential in the eyes of many. Or, you know, maybe it's malarkey, Angelo. So, Angelo, are you so not planning to spend uh, your money on lottery tickets, but are you planning to spend your money on a vacation? If so, I have a bit of a suggestion for you. Well, as I was reading the article, I thought, how far is this from an area of Mexico that I would go visit if I would go to a resort there? So I sent you an article from Vice World News from November 2022 all about the city of Tampico, which is located northeast of Mexico City in the Gulf of Mexico, where allegedly people claim that uh, aliens protect this area uh, from harm, including things like tropical storms. Well, they had two very big tropical storms in the 50s and 60s in that area that ruined them. But I forgot to mention then, the area. It is, it is Tempico. Yeah, so you, I think you, I mentioned you did, you did yeah. mention it. Yes, you okay, said near, near Mexico City. But they have not had any ruinous storms in a long, long time. They've obviously had some storms, but nothing of the, the magnitude, for example, what we saw at Katrina when they did pray to the alien gods that protect them and Katrina veered off and did what we all know it did. Yeah, so the idea here is the Amalpac, um alien base. So they are underwater. Um, uh, it's an underwater alien base that exists to uh, means unknown, ends unknown, but... One of their goals, apparently, is to protect um, the city of Tempico, which I think is really interesting. And I like the idea of a benevolent alien race being out there, moving the storms away from this space to make sure that no damage has occurred. Well, and this all started with a relatively big UFO sighting uh, by many people. And since then, people have felt and seen strange things, but now... And well, and this has been going on for a while where they've been talking about how it's it's at that point they established a base there and have been protecting the town and beach for a long time since then. Yes. But no one has quite seen them, right? So that's not the really, no. Apart that. from that major sighting, I believe it was in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah, in sixty seven. Sixty seven, yeah. So that was the the mass OVNI sighting. They kept calling it OVNI, which is the the same as the French word, correct? So that's the other thing I wanted to mention is that's the takeaway for me is that OVNI in Spanish and OVNI uh, in French are the same thing. So, you know, uh, I apologize for the white man pronunciation of this one, but OVNI in Spanish is Objeto Volador No Nidificado. Yeah, that's very white man. 
objet volant non identifié. And then, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, Quebecois accent. Yeah, Brian put his good French uh, to use. <laughs> So it's really interesting that this has become kind of a tourist hotspot too, which I think is a really interesting. We keep touching on the, the concept of um, uh, paranormal tourism, and I feel like this is just another facet to paranormal tourism. Uh, because if you take a look, the Vice News article has a ton of pictures of um, of Tampico. My favorite, my favorite is with the uh, the guy that goes around in the alien. Uh, el, el, what they call him? I uh, el uh, Marcianito, which means little yes. Martian. And yeah. uh, he's on the beach with his uh, nephew, who he's teaching how to be an alien, <laughs> and posing <laughs> with a young lady celebrating her quinceanera. So yes, that I've, is correct. I thought that was pretty hilarious. And of course, there's a dude in the background just lying on the beach. You got him. Yeah, he's lying literally like, like in the sand yeah. as the picture's being taken. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny though that like you can suddenly see the the confluence of like art and creativity because there's graffiti all over the place um, of you know the classic gray alien painted green in this case it's really interesting because i've seen you know you and i've talked about different alien colors like this one's really really like a bright and colorful green which i found very interesting yeah and in the, most cases well and and the, the the group that started that they they originally started with more traditional graffiti and switched to cool alien stuff because of where they live and where they are you know i feel like this is a very interesting kind of like um uh, cultural kind of way of, of looking at ufos right as, as protectors because we don't necessarily have that conversation with people if not they're you know they're terrifying objects in the sky that are coming to get us or people are rather neutral about that you know they exist or they don't it's a binary um and i find you know it's rare to get the idea of a benevolent alien apart from like you know ufo culture ufo religion um but the idea of just having protectors over there off in the distance in the ocean making sure that we don't get hit by all of this um you know uh, these natural occurrences um it's kind of heartwarming in a weird kind of way yes the only concern i have here is that there's almost now two factions there because there are the people that feel that this is aliens protecting them but also around the same time a statue was erected of the virgin mary and people think that she's the one protecting the beach and the town the uh virgin del carmen uh, so a classic science versus religion debate just held live, you know, kind of Godzilla style for 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 almost 60 years. Uh, yeah. The, the, so because she was erected the same the intro year to, to the exorcist where they show the demon Pazuzu, right? It's the archaeological dig. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? In like, isn't that the exorcist two or is that the exorcist one? That the show I think that? it's the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. And there's like a tent and stuff and there's somebody in the tent. Yeah. yeah. I thought, that was the, that. I thought that may have been the Exorcist 2, but I I may be mistaken. I don't know. No, that is the Exorcist 1. Okay. Like. Okay. Perfect. I'm not even sure I've ever seen the Exorcist 2, so maybe maybe that's... Uh, that's it's all urban. Linda Blair as a, teen, as a moody teenager. Yeah, I know that. I just could I thought the Exorcist 2 had that, that scene, but no. Okay. No. One and three are the best. Two is awful. And then all of the different... The two prequels uh exorcist the beginning and then dominion the prequel are like the same movie just you know cut differently which i always thought was like a fascinating kind of move that's familiar <laughs> like silent night <laughs> deadly night too oh i thought you were gonna say like like Zack snyder or something no no oh do they have a snyder cut of a snyder cut of the exorcist no but i think it's a fascinating story to, priest to dive into ripped abs <laughs> A lot of like really really quick cuts and like an off color joke that shouldn't have been made. And the the cinematography is a bit off. 
just, just like, everywhere. Yeah, it's like it's like you know the camera's slight, slightly tilted, satur- sort of like a Michael Bay ripoff. Yeah, desaturated colors. Exactly. Michael Bay uh, though, there would, has to be a flare of some kind. Well, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we talked about him and Armageddon, right? We laughed at Ben Affleck together. That was quite fun. Um, well, Ben yeah, Affleck I, had I a point. It, I find it kind of endearing that like there's this like set of people who are like, you know what? Thank you, aliens, for protecting us. Versus like, there's so many different ways in which we. Um, kind of get into the uap side of things well, don't say I that word like, i know but what i'm talking about there is the more controlled philosophical discussions on how the you know political apparatus in the united states in particular operates right and i think there's like a more formalized way in which people love to debate that versus this i think is a little more organic in nature and interesting and you know um there's been a sighting you know people have mentioned that they may have seen other things in the sky um, in the interim, though it's not confirmed. So I think that like this is a really interesting way of sort of seeing this as a, a, a fun tale, I guess. Yeah, we're, we're seeing more and more military reports. They're trying to remove the stigma attached to military personnel reporting UFOs. Most things that are being reported are likely not alien, <laughs> if at all. But when aliens do come, they protect us from storms. Come get Angelo. It could be the combination. Maybe the aliens are religious and they're trying to protect the statue. So the only other thing I want to mention about this article is that they talk about one of the the groups um, in there. So there's the OVNI Scientific Investigation Association of Tamaulipas. Tamaulipas? Tamaulipas. Uh, Yeah. So ACOT for its Spanish acronym. So the uh, group's founder, uh, Juan Carlos Ramon Lopez, suggests, because he kind of astrally projected himself, that the aliens inside of this um, underwater base are interterrestrial, multidimensional, seemingly made of crystals and some metal, and are nearly uh, sorry. So the base itself is made up of crystals and some metals, not the aliens themselves, but the aliens themselves are nearly ten feet tall, thin, and light skinned beings who had a more evolved consciousness with energy reading throughout the place. He's really confident about that. Almost as confident as people who play the lottery when they are remote view. I know he should remote view the lottery too. Or ask the aliens. They could. I like how you mock this man. Am I mocking? Maybe not. I'm just I'm just poking fun. You're a little flippant, like yeah. usual. Yeah. But you are too, come on. No, I'm I'm wholeheartedly like embracing this. What are you talking okay, about? Okay, okay. I want this to be real. Are you kidding me? I would love the idea. That, I like, don't know if I the, want ten foot interdimensional aliens in my house. That are protecting you from Oh, you maybe know, okay. Uh, if they're protecting climate us climate change, yeah. I would love that. They're protecting us because they are they're they're waiting for us to uh, to be ready for them to eat us. Always with the negativity. Yeah. Always. You know, Angela, I don't think we're going to reconcile our beliefs. Maybe they can save third-party Twitter apps. Before we go, Angela, because I feel like this is a great place to end this discussion of underwater alien bases. Do you remember where people can find us? Because I mentioned this in the first segment. I want to see if you're paying attention. Well, they can find us at doubledensity.net and fill out the form and send us letters and emails. Ladies and gentlemen, a man of utter charisma. Um, do we still have a Twitter address? Twitter, we sure Twitter do. Double underscore Nancy. Yeah, amazing. And we're on Instagram, where you can watch us make videos of us popping balloons. I have to buy high heels. That reminds yeah. me. Yeah. So should we pivot hard? Like we should just like do one type of content on this. Instagram stories, YouTube Shorts, TikTok, TikToks. Is that what they're called? They're just called videos, Angela. Oh, okay, on TikTok, yeah. Yeah, tic- you're exuding so real the, get off my lawn behavior. Well, here. the 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 whole thing where I went to shorts and watched them without my algorithm playing a part. Because if, if like between you and I, if I go to the shorts now, it's going to be Rick Beato showing me scales. Uh, but if 
that's when I that's how I experienced TikTok, and maybe that's why I bounced off of it so hard is because I saw what the masses were seeing. I like the idea of you're trying to screw stuff as a very intelligent person. You're not like other girls, Angela, is what you're trying to do. Yeah, tell us. exactly. It's going to be people solving <laughs> equations and showing me important things. This has been it for episode 210 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week as I try to convince Angelo to spend some hard-earned money to fly to Mexico City to then go to the beach northeast in Tenbigo, where we could buy all kinds of alien tchotchkes. Angelo, I will see you at the airport, my friend. Get some lottery tickets, too.